But again, that's not going to be with everything. You have to start to learn how to filter out the feedback from students, but even professors sometimes, because they may be hearing you say you're designed a certain way, but then they interpret it a whole different way one week versus a different week. So sometimes there will be other frustrations where they tell you to do something, you do that, and then they hate it, but they're like, what the heck, you told me to do this. (laughs) (laughs) I know that. So it's like... In five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crit Room Podcast. I am your host, Ryan, with my co-host... Albert, just Albert. (laughs) And we are joined once again by the one and only Sully. Hello there, everyone. We don't have Abby with us today. She decided to go to visit her boyfriend and do some type of tour in a really cool looking museum. I was seeing on her Snapchat story that she was in some really, really cool art exhibit thing. And I was mind blown. Yeah, she she went out and decided to have a life. And so she did. Yeah. <laughs> and we're stuck here talking about architecture. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. That's a hard choice. Yeah. But no, today's topic is basically going to be how to handle criticism and learning studio culture. But before we get into that, I have some very nerve-wracking news. What? Did you know that there's about 60 days left of the year? No. (laughs) Yeah, so if you're at all panicking about anything in life, just know that you only have 60 days left to get all your New Year's resolutions done. Just so, uh, well, at the time of this recording, who knows if this is actually coming out? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. I mean, it's also, but you also balance it. It's Halloween. Yeah. So take with as you may. If you're going to (laughs) go... It's also a Sunday, so I don't know what you're going to do Halloween partying now, but I we hope... We just have a month to finish our project. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Yeah, so much like studying for my history class, I am progressing all of my studying all the way to the very end of the year. And, uh, <laughs> I had to get so many things done that I thought like, oh, yeah, I'll just do it next month. And then the next month comes, I'm like, oh, I'm really busy with studio. Let's do it next month. <laughs> yeah. And then now it's basically November. <laughs> Me right now, I have a quiz to do tonight. Let's do a 10. You know what I'm doing instead? Recording this podcast. <laughs> because you guys are just as important to us. <laughs> oh, oh. Since it is Halloween, I mean, two out of three of us are, I guess, in costume. But we could talk about who we were for Halloween. So I was uh, the infamous Johnny Bravo. <laughs> yeah. Kachiga. Kachiga. <laughs> That's not him. I know. <laughs> right now, I'm dressed up as Benny from In the Heights. The I best character. your attention. It's Benny, and I like to mention. But what was your costume before that? Oh, yeah. um, I was an architect with a T-square. <laughs> I was wearing all black. The turtleneck, too. Right? That was Sam. Oh, no. Oh, no. Sam. I thought you had a turtleneck. No, Never mind. Dude. Oh, Sam. And then what's the future costume for an event that's going to come on? The Beaux-Arts. You guys should go to Beaux-Arts next year. Yes. If you're in at K-State. Yeah. You don't have to be in K-State. You know, you can just give us your money. We don't really care. <laughs> and we'll just take make it. the drive from wherever you're from. Go down all the way to Kansas. We can, we can sell it well. Architects party hard. So Yes, because yeah. we only yeah. get out like three times a year. So yeah. we have to make the most out of it. Absolutely. <laughs> but the, uh, the costume that we're going to wear for Beaux-Arts is... The Peaky Blinders. Tell yeah. the people who that is, or what that is. It's a it's, show on Netflix. Yeah, you should watch. 
but it's essentially um, set in 1920s London, and it follows a gangster uh, family. A gangster family, and there are quite some characters in it. They will blind you if you talk bad about their really good business. Just like my family business. Yeah. So then for my for my costume, I went for the infamous um, Spencer Shea from my Carly meme where he has a smoothie and an ostrich. <laughs> and I'll say it wasn't that well done because I was procrastinating that costume, but um, I grabbed what I could and got a smoothie from Smoothie King at <laughs> uh, 7 o'clock at night. And yeah, they turned into a meat and then i held a banana because you know you can't find ostriches really <laughs> i feel like a banana is a pretty close second though i can really imagine spencer holding a banana in iCarly for some reason or at least oh, the yeah. banana is a pretty iconic part of iCarly i mean you just hold something that's out of pocket and then they can act <laughs> but you got that was there. my idea like i wasn't gonna have anything at first but i was like you gotta hold something for people to be like what you got there and you'd be like, oh, mm. a smoothie. A smoothie. <laughs> what was that? A butter and sock for Sam? Oh, yeah. Oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> the butter sock. The butter sock. Or I could have just had spaghetti tacos or something like that. Yeah. Oh, actually, though. Sometime this year, I don't know when, maybe sometime in December once all the stuff are going down, but we could make some actual spaghetti tacos again. Is that a thing? Yeah. Enrique we made slap them. Me. Although, okay. <laughs> spaghetti tacos are really good. I forget in the show if it's a hard shell. I imagine it it's a hard is, shell. But. It's a hard I, shell yeah. spaghetti. Oh, I just imagined a soft shell. Ugh, no, I was no. going to say, like, it's not great with the soft shell. <laughs> that's, that's a spaghetti burrito. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is maybe out of the uh, the iCarly lore, but if you can find them in the stores, the Doritos Locos Tacos taco shells with the spaghetti in it, it's a game changer. It's so good. We're not sponsored by them, yeah. by the way. Oh, I wish we, we they were. can. They can yeah. sponsor us. <laughs> Our podcast be- turns from an architecture podcast to an ASMR um, Taco Bell test Food channel. Yeah. Nom, 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 nom. Delicioso. But okay, so with the idea of how to handle criticism and learning studio culture, it kind of goes hand in hand, at least to me, because interacting in studio is pretty close to how you develop your design skills and other things like that, I would guess. At least for me, I know a lot of the studio culture has influenced me how I approached learning more about my studies in architecture and design in general. So I don't know if anybody else had some preemptive statements or whatever to say about it but i mean it's absolutely something you learn as you go into design it's so much more different from anything you um do in high school it's such a collaborative profession in a way that it's something that's very you're, of course with any job you're going to have a team mm -hmm. but when you integrate something as with architecture that has to involve forms of design and art it becomes subjective so you have to it's something that you rely on people to talk to and get mm -hmm. feedback and build off of each other's ideas yeah, it's not like English class where you just you have your own like English class is very like subjective in terms of what they're you're writing and you're reading, right? Like you, you your perception of what you're reading and then all that stuff. It's very subjective. But in English, you don't really it's not very collaborative, I think. Actually, at least in high school was like it's not collaborative. Trying to get ideas from other people or high school you're very focused on yourself and yeah. getting your work done. And I mean sometimes you have the occasional group project, but yeah. you're, and nobody, not, likes nobody, yeah. nobody likes it. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes group projects. <laughs> we got the uh, 
the parasite of the group and then three people who are working <laughs> or the opposite <laughs> where it's just the one person carrying everybody on their back <laughs> or they're goofing off <laughs> but i at least i'm i was fortunate enough in architecture school to have like the collaborative nature the people that i work with are actually passionate about the things that they're doing and then in turn the work is more evenly distributed yeah no long story short it's basically saying that this whole approach to academics in high school is going to be very different from how you should and how you end up approaching the design school academics per se and a lot of it is or at least what we want to do with this episode is try to give you guys a couple of tips on how to do it as smoothly as possible transition from one to the other a bit easier and just know how to expect seeing the academic side of things work in a design school where everything is either objectively or subjectively different than math and other stuff like that mm -hmm. so the first thing that we we're thinking about talking about is what we call losing the tude. Oh. Basically, if you have some type of ego that you're bringing from high school into <laughs> college, you got to get rid of that. It's, <laughs> it's going to hurt you way more if you're not going to accept that you have some flaws and you or you think you know everything about it. Because I promise you, you're going to get into the first year and feel like you know everything and have no idea what's going on. For example, uh, Soy and I both went to a middle school that introduced us to architecture we had some type of class that focused on us like drafting things like drafting facades of buildings and then like threw us into revit for a little bit so you guys did revit middle school yeah. surprisingly yeah i never even got to touch revit until like this year yeah i, I still don't remember anything from middle school but <laughs> yeah. yeah i i mean i kind of remember it we i think it's just making a gabled house yeah. But that's why I don't really like Revit because all I can think about is how do I make something that isn't a gabled house? How do I make real architecture? And that's for someone that's starting to figure it out though. I don't want to get on a whole tangent, but mm -hmm. we did learn Revit at that time. It was really cool. Yeah. But at that time, but it also created a whole like, I can only do houses in this. How do people actually make real buildings? Right. Like not real buildings per se. How do they make like a school? Mm -hmm. or yeah. A it wasn't like a full education. It was more of those, and not even a crash course. It's just, here's how you draw a wall or this is how you attach the roof to the walls. And that would be like, <laughs> through a window in there change the colors of the trim and that's about it if you remember that that house you made as a kid like just drawing your family by your house and it's like a box with a triangle on top <laughs> yeah. like two window one window top when one window to left and a door and a <laughs> chimney add a chimney that's yeah. basically what we did did yeah. you draw a foundation as well or no <laughs> no 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 foundations <laughs> no structure included yeah i will say that i have no wall section that that one was the best. That class was the best because of the fact that we got into perspective drawings. Yes. So that's maybe the one thing I took out of it and was able to not just like do some good perspective drawings in mm -hmm. high school and art classes, but also once we had to just do, I remember going into art, coming to K-State first year and then being like, oh, this is how you do perspective drawings with like this grid and very complex way. And I was just, I can just eye it in just put a dot on a piece of paper and just start eyeing like scale <laughs> yeah. and do a pretty good job. <laughs> it's like the meme where it's like, I can draw perspectives with the grid. It's like, oh, I can draw two point perspectives. Oh, really? I can draw with one point perspectives. Like <laughs> you guys use grids for your perspectives. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's me right now. Like I don't, you, the grid is just so, uh, it's like, too much work. And like, I just eyeball stuff. It looks good. Or you just take photos of your physical model that you make and then just sketch the those out and bada bing bada boom <laughs> but yeah going back yeah. to 
Yeah, but <laughs> tangent <back>. aside, <laughs> uh, if like we had a little bit of knowledge under our belts, so going into college for me at least, because I continued focusing more on the architecture side going into high school even. So I, I was pretty set on doing architecture ever since middle school when you boil it down. So me thinking that I went into college like not thinking that I was going to know everything, obviously, but then. I felt like, oh, like out of the class, I feel like I was probably going to be top five at least. <laughs> and then <laughs> the most humbling thing happened day one. Our professor met with us. It's like, all right, here's basically like the syllabus crap, whatever, talk about it. And then she took us out to someplace on campus. And it's like, okay, you see that building over there? We're like, yeah. I want you guys to draw 12 diagrams. And then I'm like, what's a diagram? <laughs> <laughs> and like you look that you look that stuff up in the internet, it, it does not help you. Yeah, you do, like you Google architecture diagrams and it just shows you a, a whole bunch of random things that like art diagrams, well, like you don't know what that means. It's just like, <laughs> oh, somehow a box colored in, that's a diagram or something. But <laughs> she didn't go and, and tell us what a diagram was. She just told us off the bat, draw 12 diagrams. So then I remember freaking out immediately like, Man, I thought I was already geared up. <laughs> and then I got checked right away. <laughs> so I learned to really humble myself or humble myself at that moment. And after about 10 minutes of just trying to look over people's shoulders, trying to see what they were doing, I'm like, I, I still don't know what a diagram is. <laughs> so then I I dropped the two basically. And then I walked over to the professor and I said, Hey, I gotta be honest. I don't know what a diagram is. And he's like, oh. Just look around to see what other people are trying. I'm like, oh, well, there goes that. <laughs> so throughout the semester, eventually we learned what a diagram is and everything. But that was that moment where I realized like, okay, I had to separate myself from my ego, realize that I'm not the top dog like I was going into thinking I was. I had to learn how to just accept that I don't know everything and- Can't relate, I'm, I'm perfect. <laughs> Looky same. <laughs> okay, I'll get on you. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Sully. <laughs> Me. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to even reflect back to my first semester because I don't know. I feel like I generally understood that I wasn't someone that I, I knew some things coming into it. I knew some definitions, that, but I didn't know what diagrams were. But when some, when a professor would say something that I knew, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I know that. I just mm -hmm. do it. But then like, I don't know. I feel like that, that's not necessarily where I would think about losing the tude comes from. I think it's just when you have a professor like look over your project and be like, hey, there's these things you can improve. I think it's it's the fact that someone shouldn't have, feel like they they should realize that and develop on it and like improve themselves. When I would see people my first shoot semester kind of fight back. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And it'd be like, well, maybe you got to take that step back and kind of look at it and be like, no, maybe they have a point. They've been doing this career there for 30 to 40 years. I mean, like mm -hmm. with our professor, my professor first year, she was older. She definitely knew what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you're fighting back on this is like, you sure? You yeah. sure? Yeah, like the two part. And that's kind of like going back. Not heard about like getting feedback and stuff too. Yeah, like <laughs> but it's I haven't heard of that forever. <laughs> and, also, and something I'll bring up is that in design school, you're not getting a hundred percent. There's no way. No. Mm -mm. In a design studio, it's oh, did, subjective. I did get one hundred percent from um, the first semester of third year. What professor? What the? Yeah, I'm just perfect, guys. So I guess you. so. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, All we right. Should have, cool. We should be learning from Albert. We should be asking. Never mind. He did. Questions. Albert did the impossible. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was. I'm pretty sure the professor just looked at it. And he's like, he did the work 100. <laughs> percent But yeah, professors. I feel like with design school tend to 
because of that little added part of the subjectiveness of art that comes from architecture, you're never going to have the perfect project. Mm -hmm. The design continues. Mm -hmm. So there's always something you can critique about a project. Yeah. So that's why I feel like so many people coming out of high school are going to be like, I want to get 100%. I want to get 100%. I want to get 100%. Be very try hard. But in the sense of a high school approach. That's not a bad thing, though. And it's not a bad thing at all. But like, I could kind of just see those people didn't couldn't understand the losing the tooth aesthetic mm-hmm. yeah i don't know what the connection is there mm-hmm. but it was something interesting think, to notice i think it's coming from at least from what i understood from other people was that it to them it was an attack of their character because mm-hmm. they're the ones that were creating the ideas mm-hmm. whereas for me when i was viewing my my design it was like an attack of that not really an attack but like guiding my idea instead of an attack of me as a person yeah because once you start to view things as as an attack to your character, this this staircase looks bad, and then the thought process then turns into I made the staircase, so that means I'm bad. Instead mm-hmm. of just saying the staircase is bad, you know. Yeah. And yeah. when then they never really thought about like, or maybe this their thought stops at the staircase is is bad. But what they should be thinking about is like the growth mindset. Why is a staircase bad? You know, and we can get into this, but you saying that definitely reminds me of like the whole idea of you cannot don't attach yourself mm-hmm. to the design. But like, there's a balance. I feel there's you you can't put yourself into that scenario where you're you're feeling like you're gonna get attacked mm-hmm. about your design and be personally attacked. But you should have some form of passion with what your designs are. You can't be too detached, otherwise you're not gonna create something mm-hmm. that's to its full potential. I don't know. I we can continue. No, that's a else. good point though. I mean, that's pretty much blending into that next point about the growth mindset. But like matching. Get back to the whole lucitude thing i was approaching it from two different perspectives where it's the sense of your ego coming out but the mm-hmm. sense of the same way of like not getting caught up in this idea of oh i'm gonna be right about everything and stuff because kind of hitting at your point from high school and stuff most people would probably think that oh if you put a certain amount of hours into studying and then you end up acing the test because you studied hard you got out the answers right 100 percent. it's a pretty simple formula yeah. but then when you get to design school it starts to become a lot more subjective than objective in certain cases because like again it's an art form everyone's going to have their own opinion about it most people can have a similar opinion but it's not going to be the same across the boards everyone can agree that a certain math equation would equal the same answer everybody raises their hand they have the same answer Mm. but then you ask the same question how should you design a bedroom and then everyone in that room will literally have a different answer so it's one of those things where there's some objectivity to architecture but it's still a subjective thing overall and that's definitely like a really hard thing to learn about in first year. Us as peer educators really try to mentor our mentees, I don't know, (laughs) about our first years and saying like, hey, it's really easy to feel really attached to this project because you're putting so many hours into your projects and like you really want them to just be perfect because that's how we were trained to think about things in high school, especially in the United States where failure is just like the worst thing possible. So you want to make everything perfect. Mm -hmm. But then again, in design school, it's basically expected that you're not going to have a perfect project otherwise your critics aren't gonna be able to tell you anything mm-hmm. in the first place i don't know if you have anything to add on to that but i feel like it's gonna be we could talk about it but everyone i feel like in design school is gonna have that moment where the professor is going to flip their building and be like it's better this way 
Yeah. And that's probably the biggest hurdle you're going to ever, that's, that's going to be the thing that's going to change your life. Cause in the end you have to encounter that with the, the things of not having an ego, mm-hmm. being able to be objective and step away from your design and be like, okay, this can be improved because to some degree, as you continue with the design project, you're never, you're always going to grow more and more and more firm on that's what the building is because you build a vision. You build a vision of what this building's going to be because of that continued design. But then your professor is going to be like, yeah, but there you go. You flip it. What's the building like? And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> um, but I really just designed it all like this. Yeah. And, you know, like, it's just so it's that moment where you're going to you learn so much. Mm-hmm. You learn more a lot about yourself. But if you are able to progress and lose the tude, step away from your design a little bit and have that objectivity to it, you generally create a really good project. Yeah, the question I like to ask myself a lot is just why. Mm -hmm. And then once you get that why of why something might be bad or why something is good, you bullet points those things. It's just it gives you a a good understanding as to why you're making those moves, right? When a professor asks why, that's also another big moment where if you don't know how to say why, like it can it can change how you design. It can maybe break down that tower of cards you've just done Mm -hmm. for like a month. Oh, that's a really good point, actually. Like like you figure that out. Like you're really good at asking the why, but when you don't know that and the professor does that to you, yeah, it's it can it can mess it could mess someone up. Yeah, it really does. So like I had I had this idea of with our project right now, I had this idea of the amphitheater that was going from the back side of the and at the time intuitively I thought that that was something that I really needed for that building to just figure out the how it was oriented, yeah. right? So yeah. with your building you wanted to be following the axis of yeah. it. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, but why? And so to me, the reason why I needed to create the amphitheater space or that stepping down idea was just to have that smoother transition from work to home life. And so that's why why I made that decision to do that. And having that sequence of entries and sequence of just approach to the entry of the building was just a better experience than just walking to the front of the building and then that's it. Well, did, didn't our professor then tell you to flip rotate it? how you approached it like he said don't follow the axis yeah but then that i don't know what happened there but if you agreed at first or if you were in denial for Mm -hmm. a little bit but then realized that that was i i don't know yeah like what did you think there was so the reason why i had two decisions to do was put the amphitheater on axis towards the entry and then the other one was not towards the entry itself and like you would have this a turn a right turn before you can see the entry itself and so the the main reason why i just why i decided decided to not not go off of the axis was because i needed a space for the residents to feel safe and then having that entrance to be on the backside well having that really nice experience from from the outside it still shows that there's a nice sequence but the extra factor of safety of not being able to see the the entry from the backside immediately was just a big part of the domestic violence co-housing project that we had to do here so yeah that actually goes into a pretty good advice that at least i didn't pick up on until i want to say third year but maybe second year but the sooner that you can figure out the why you're doing things we'll have a whole another podcast episode dedicated to design process and like our own design process and stuff like that which this will tie more into later on but uh basically the point is if you can figure out 
the why behind your designs a lot sooner, the quicker the feedback your professor is going to give you is going to seem less offensive because you're now able to explain the reasoning behind what you're doing. At least for me, like I'll talk from personal experience. Before I really figured out this whole idea of explaining the why, everything that I was doing was just happening subconsciously where I would draw something like this and then I'd build the model to have like some interesting form to it. Put a butterfly roof on one of my houses. And then the professor would walk over and then like ask me the question like, oh, why'd you put your butterfly roof on there like that? And then, or like, why'd you use a butterfly roof? And then to me, I'm like, I had a reason in the back of my head. I just didn't really ask myself that question to figure out the answer was to tell anybody. I just knew it was going to be a really good idea. So then when I was telling him during that thing, he's like, oh, why'd you do the butterfly roof? I'm like, the only thing I could come up with is like, it looked cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, there was so much more to it, but that's the only thing that I said to him. And then because of that, when he started to critique me for it, not because it was a bad idea, but because there was a really bad reason to why I had it. Then I felt personally attacked because I'm like, <laughs> I know this is a really good idea. And like, now I feel hurt because this is a really good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and he's saying, this is trash. <laughs> so then once you can figure out how to explain your projects a lot better, the feedback that you will get will be a lot better too. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a hand on hands type of relationship. Professors can't read your mind. It's yeah, yeah. you kind of have to figure that out and be and it's able so to explain. Hard. I would love to like, cause I'm now realizing, I don't, I want to go back to um, lose the tude. I did have an attitude, but not in a way of fighting back my professors. My tude came from, and I still even conflict with it still, the idea of invention versus innovation. Mm -hmm. um, and how architecture as a, as a design, it's gonna be really hard. It's super hard for even any architect to be original and how design inherently comes from taking precedence and yeah. being able to yank and twist. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my design approach has always been how do I, how do I create without precedent? That's my mind too. It's really weird. It's not, and it's never turned. I feel like I've always had a problem with that and a confliction because I've wanted to make stuff that's genuinely different and new. But like, like something we learned from our studio last semester is that we did a jazz club and one of our reviewers was actually a jazz professor at our school. And one of the big takeaways he gave us was that when it comes to even jazz, when after a student performs an improvised piece, mm -hmm. he'll say at the end, what did you base that off of? Mm -hmm. And why? if and why? And if they couldn't give him a present, he's like, well, then you just failed, essentially, because yeah. anything that you create should have some form of inspiration, some form of um, yeah. precedent to it. Yeah, it's similar to research itself, right? Like you can't just say a bunch of these certain details and just say, this is how it is. You have to have these other evidences that back up your claim. And this yeah. gets into the design process and we don't have to get that deep into it but me saying that is about my sense of i feel with my attitude and my ego it comes from i i feel like i'm good enough to create something completely new and out of the box and it's hard to something can maybe come out of it if you use precedence mm -hmm. you can create stuff that's different and out of the box if you take inspiration from people that have done yeah. things before but that's out of question it's just very hard my ego has to sometimes go out of the window or leave mm -hmm. me and i have to be objective and realize that i have to take inspiration from others like mm -hmm. i can't do it alone yeah. i have to take yeah. help from others i'm very similar in that um sentiment where <laughs> i never like i make stuff from my own head and then i can never really find a precedent or something that based off my project off of you know majority I have this idea that's very abstract and then I'm trying to t turn it into something more architectural and then for me that's hard to find a precedent for yeah. you know with the museum again it's like this idea of people are 
just people. But then when you start to view them from their history and their background, they have depth in them and then you don't really understand. So from afar, they just look like human beings with a head, chest and legs and arms. But like when you talk to them and like try to understand them, they have like, you can start to understand them who they are. And then you turn that into architecture and you're just like, they're just boxes until you go inside the boxes and you're like, oh, wow, these people, this culture has amazing art pieces. And then that's how I turned my museum, but I could never find a precedent that was similar to that, you know? Mm. And that was the hard part for me. Yeah. yeah. So let me paint you a picture real quick. So okay. imagine again that you're a first year, you're about halfway through your project. You've been working on it for a while. The professor's going around giving desk credits and stuff, but never really given you any decent feedback or at least paid you anything that would feel like it's worthwhile feedback. Mm -hmm. And then you go all the way until the end and then you're met with all this criticism out of nowhere. Yeah. How do you handle that type of thing? Mm, Or how do you even avoid that type of situation? Because I know that's an issue that a lot of people struggle during their time in design school. Yeah, I've experienced it. (laughs) i know what i would do i feel lost you know like you anyone's gonna feel it it'd be even like what the heck why couldn't you have told me that earlier yeah this would have been very helpful if if you were able to let me know this before i got into the like this rabbit hole of ideas Mm -hmm. yeah but at the same time like something i've learned even this year is that sometimes it's your fault (laughs) i don't want to say it that bluntly no no that's that's uh, one of the points that's gonna be your point like you, you got to reflect a little bit. Like, I feel like for me, if something like that happened, I, it's lack of communication. It's that you, in design school, you're going to have to figure out how to d- explain your ideas. Mm-hmm. And communication is very important in design. Yeah. And kind of goes back to the professor cannot read your mind. Mm-hmm. If you spent the last few critiques being able to be like explain a project and then like now they start seeing it visually and be like, no, this isn't it. This isn't it. You got to do this. And now it's too late. It's mm-hmm. You've kind of dug this hole. And the best you can do is either try to accept what you have and like see if you can learn from the Mm. mistakes or, you know, I know a lot of architects and designers are perfectionists, so they'll be able to flip it and figure it out. But the best thing I would do if I were in that in their shoes was just after feeling hopeless, (laughs) I would try to fix what I could. Yeah. Someone we know probably felt this way during a crits. um, Was it Friday? You know, this person, she, hers, I think hers was just an organization issue but because of that it felt like once you change something it becomes this like domino effect of you change the door or you change the space and you change the living room and then because you change the living room it starts to eat up on the dining room space and then the dining room space Mm -hmm. starts to eat up on so like it's the domino effect of changing yeah and because of that it starts to eat up your energy and time and it just you just understand how much that would take up your time, right? And you know this, but yeah. the professor doesn't sometimes. Yeah. So while well, a professor can be like, oh, just change this. And you'll yeah. be like, sir, that could just make everything the worst possible. That, you, <laughs> what you just said was the apocalyptic situation. And my, you just released the nukes. Like our, my world has imploded on itself. Black hole. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Mayday, mayday. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. It's so, so, domino, or domino effect is real though. Especially... 
Oh, okay. So this ties in two things. So that idea of the domino effect is really scary to think about sometimes because when you wait so long in the process or in the schedule or timeline of doing a studio project, the longer it takes for the professor to get to you with that feedback that would prevent this entire cascading domino effect. Mm -hmm. So then like what we were just saying, like that one little piece of information, oh, shift your lobby over five feet. But then you already put your structure grid in. You already put all these other things on that grid. Grid. And it's not a five foot grid tonight. They move all this other stuff. It's a catastrophe. But then a lot of this stuff is, although really hard to get at, it's you need to be very communicative in studio, which ties in a little bit more with the culture side of things, but also helps with the academics, where at least one of my top pieces of advice, which is such a cliche thing, but it's the most important thing of all time, especially when you're in design school, is to ask questions. <laughs> like it's it's a Wouldn't lot easier said than done, obviously, but it's one of those things where if you're hesitant to know what to do, instead of trying to figure it out on your own and like just throw your head down into Google and just research for hours and hours and hours, just trying to figure out this answer they can't figure out, uh -huh. just ask the professor sometimes. Mm -hmm. They may not always have the perfect answer that you're wanting to get, but they can at least put you four steps ahead instead yeah. of having to start at step zero. And then there's also the domino effect of ideas. Once yeah. they give once they give you an idea, and then you start to like have these tree, you know, branches of like ideas. A progressional start, domino yeah, it's effect like, yeah, it's instead like, of a takeaway one. Yeah, it's like you, they tell you, hey, what if your door swings out? This is a bad idea, but like, what if your door swings out like this? But it actually, what if the, the, the hinge is not set onto the wall but rather it's like off of the wall and then creates like double I don't know. there's just so many things that like that that branches out from that singular idea, or like tell you, know? you to move the bathrooms from instead of behind this wall mm -hmm. if you put it on the other side of the building you're like mm -hmm. oh that doesn't make sense until you do it and then you realize oh wow that actually frees up this space and mm -hmm. then that space now can be a bit bigger yeah. and that fixes the main problem from the beginning yeah well there you go yeah. And it's like a really euphoric feeling after those like progressive domino effects happen. Yeah. Yeah. And then like you have these walls that could be adaptable. He's like, what if you can just make the, make this wall um, move in and out and maybe it turns into a door and you're like, okay, maybe I could do that. But then you start to think, what if this door actually becomes a whiteboard where you can, or this wall that becomes a whiteboard that can c c close in and open up and then you can start being collaborative in that space. Oh, wait a minute, this thing can be applied to a lot of places. This thing fits my concept yeah. really well in my building. This should be applied to the spaces that I dedicate it to it. It's not yeah. just one instance. Yeah. So you start playing it in all these spaces and yeah. you're like, wait a minute, this could work. These moments, as much as it seems like a negative ripple effect, we, like it's what we're getting to, it can cause a, a set of dominoes to drop where you get even more and more and more excited about your project and yeah. it can motivate you to create something amazing. It's it's insane when that happens. Mm. So if you ever get encountered with that experience, sometimes it's a matter of losing the tude and all that things, but like take that in instance and see what can happen because yeah. it's those hard moments of soul searching in, in, in your design that can create some amazing moments. Mm -hmm. Or as Albert would say, even if you have feedback that you don't think is right, I know this feedback is wrong, but what if I do it anyway? <laughs> yeah, my approach to design is just, I know it's wrong, but what if I do it anyway? I know it's risky. I know, what if I do it anyway? Well, I know it's not traditional. What if I do it anyway? It's just like asking why, why, and then actually doing it, you know? Yeah. That's the, that's Albert, the Albert, isn't, Albert isn't a sheep. He doesn't, he he doesn't follow path. aimlessly. He has to know why. Yeah. That's what's <laughs> so hard about first year for me. It was, it was just, we didn't really have a, you know, we had the same professor. But you were in the different, you were in the morning studio. I was in the afternoon studio. I was on the second floor. You were in the basement. Yeah. Tough. Tough um, look. 
but it wasn't the basement. It was the first floor. Wait, were you? I was in the first floor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it wasn't bad. But um, no, I I kept asking. Abby and I had the same thing. We were in the same studio, but both of us are very like inquisitive in, in our work. It's like we always ask ourselves why. But during that freshman year, first year, I couldn't figure out why I was designing like the proportions. I was like, why are we design? Why are we using this proportion? It's hard to design why something we- when it's a white box, yeah, <laughs> like, like a cube with. There's no like purpose behind the yeah. abstract piece. And so I was like, oh, I can't do this. And so that's why I had a hard time first first semester, first year. And then after that, I think it actually went well. But after that, I started to have a purpose and really asking myself. The why aspect is really what drove my yeah. project forward. So then for this next part, I have two things really. So the first one is studio culture and just like design studio or design college in general is a lot more beneficial when you start to have this open communication and dialogue with not only your professor and just telling them all your struggles and things that you feel good about, but want to have more confidence in your ideas behind, but then also talking to your peers and other people around you and just at least how we were talking about it is we think talking to at least one person in studio a day, as Sully was talking about earlier earlier is a pretty good way to one not only make friends in studio but then also you get a new perspective from a whole bunch of different people even if you're like for example i know that sounds scary to a lot of people who are a lot more shy in their personality but then how would you explain that to them that why well, if don't you know feel how. like you're more of a shy person how would you get out of your way to talk to people because that's not everybody but yeah, yeah i was gonna say these two guys right here are the best at it to be honest they'd be getting a's if this was a homework assignment <laughs> um, talking to people yeah, yeah you'd be i'm so and again i'm not perfect i am very inward focused and it's people that come to me and ask about my stuff and i'm actually hard at communicating my things i feel like my my design isn't actually like figured out by people until i actually present it at the final thing and they're like oh okay this is what he's doing <laughs> your idea is so uh, but i'm just though. like so i'll just be sitting at my desk doing my work i'm very inward focused sometimes i get too inward focused so when Albert or Ryan will come over and talk to me, that's when I'll actually have my time to communicate. But sometimes I'm learning to like, I got to get up and walk around a little bit sometimes too. So if you are feeling like shy in general, what's going on and but you're also stuck with your project, you got to take that time to can appreciate what other people are doing. So And and coming over and asking, what are they doing? <laughs> we're taking selfies right now. Like, oh my God. It's so, not a selfie, it's like, I'm, I'm recording history. Yes. <laughs> but no, that's, that's a good point I, though. Like being able to just walk up to people and the thing that, so believe it or not, so I ask, didn't actually used to be very outwardly communicative with people. And the thing that really got me out of my shell is the underlying feeling of, well, since I don't know many people in this college, the only way for me that I know I can make friends is just by talking to people. Because the whole idea of like, your feelings are not unique, like you're going to have, you're going to feel shy because the next person next to you is also shy. But then if you just take this step to say, how's your day going? It might be awkward at first, but then you both confide in each other in that awkwardness and it starts to form <laughs> a bond that way. But what I used to do most of the time, and even to this day right now, is just they're just walking over and like asking them, how's it going? Or just, can I look at your project real quick? Or just asking them if they can look at your project 
or yeah. something and ask them for their feedback on it mm -hmm. or whatever. Like it doesn't have to be this huge thing, but then just doing these things several times throughout the year helps to build that bond and that trust and that relationship with all the people in your studio. Yeah. I think it's similar to like party situation where you're, um, so like imagine this, you're like introverted and then you're in this big party. You're not the only introvert in that party, right? And so you try to find other people that are in the corner and you're just like, hmm, this is a, this party is kind of draining me. And they're like, oh, yes, yeah, same. I just, I, I don't want to be here. My wife brought me. This is not my vibe. I don't want to be here. And you just like, you just try to like, you just like, when you're open about how you're feeling. Yeah. And then just being vulnerable in that sense, people will also be, they will reciprocate the energy. Because people love it when you're a human being. Believe it or not. <laughs> and you, to be a human being, you have to have emotions. Unless... You're a serial killer. Then you're not. <laughs> then you're not a human being. But um, oh, <laughs> oh no! That's oh, no. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Gonna get canceled. <laughs> Don't take this to Twitter. No. <laughs> but no, like I think it's about just like really talking about what both of you guys are going through and just I know like I know for my first first year freshman year I didn't know what the diagram was so I was like uh I went I went around the whole studio I was like mm, you know what a diagram is <laughs> like, and they didn't, they didn't know either I was like ah I feel so bad so much better yeah. now I thought I was so stupid <laughs> Yeah, no. And That's then you, a good point. Though. And then after that, you just like, you know what? Let's try to figure it out. Let's go to the library together and like yeah. look for a book that actually says what is a diagram, and and ask maybe ask the librarian and do because of like that inquisitive nature of you, just like I want to know. And you talk to pers to a person, and it's like, do you know about this? And they say no, and then they're and they're having the same situation. Mm -hmm. Both of you guys could try to figure out the situation together. Yeah, imposter syndrome is heavy, and especially oh. starting design school. We're gonna get yes. to that. Um, um, talking to talking to people in studio cures a lot of things. It can cure your design, but it can also, like Albert's saying, just cure your ability to like you're not alone in this in your troubles. And by understanding that more people are, like it gives you a little bit better. Under not only can you work together to figure it out, but mm -hmm. also it gives you it it reassures you, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah. No, that imposter syndrome thing is a pretty good point to hit on real quick before we move on to one of our last things. But especially for first years going in, a lot of people have completely different ranges of skills. Like there are people like Soli and I who have at least some experience under our belt and have heard of architecture and other programs like that before. Mm -hmm. But there's also people who are I'm just trying out architecture because it sounded kind of cool. That's and what there I are people did. who switch from agriculture to architecture because it sounded interesting to them. There are people who have so many different experience points and other people who have so many different skill points mm -hmm. in other areas too that are a lot more visual or audible and stuff. Mm -hmm. For example, like I personally have a bit stronger of drawing abilities and stuff next to me, but then I know other people would feel like insecure of their drawing abilities next to me, but then I would be feeling insecure about my story abilities sitting next to Albert or like, my idea to create diagrams sitting next to Sully and like everyone in your studio has different mm -hmm. strengths, strengths and weaknesses. And when you're able to talk to each other and 
basically discuss those different strengths and weaknesses mm -hmm. and help each other out and sort of teach them how you've gotten over your own hard points with that same issue. Just yeah. it helps build you up together. Exactly. And it doesn't have to be so competitive. Like I feel many first years feel that studio culture is, or it's just this super crazy competitive zone when it's totally not the case. It feels that way and it might look that way sometimes, but it truly isn't that way until mm -hmm. it's last minute before competition is due or something like that. You saying that opened my <laughs> to me thinking about first year and that's isn't that i feel like the competitive nature people get from high school a little bit right <laughs> yeah so Wait, I, I remember people like in first year there oh there's some people that, i feel like there's those some honors classes man those sometimes, AP classes yes breed it, it a lot of competitive you, people. it makes you yeah so like i think that's something you uh, i feel like that's something if, if you feel like you kind of have that right now if you're going to come into design school you kind of have to lose that a little bit i'm gonna be honest i and, i didn't i didn't experience that back in high school or maybe no. the people that i was hanging out with it's just not i don't know yeah i i know there's some people i think it's it's kind of those people the race to valedictorian right yes i never saw no never saw that wow. it's just that energy so like yeah or maybe I, was just, a, I wasn't like i wasn't hanging out yeah. with people. it's who can have the greatest gpa mm -hmm. to be the valedictorian of your school so, Who's you, can, more clubs. so you can get into harvard and that i mean those people exist my parents are like that though <laughs> it's right it's, it's it's taught into people i i can definitely say that you if people have that and go into design school it's a little bit of a kind of have to learn to collaborate with others and yes figure that stuff out that's full, so full circle because I was thinking I just completely forgot about that whole thing and that was <laughs> kind of the source to why I was thinking about it's not like high school this yeah. place isn't like it so yeah Huh. No, and then I guess one other thing too, since we're encouraging people to have this open dialogue between so many different points of input and design feedback, how do you know how to filter in the bad from the good? There are some things that you just know when you're hearing it, it's like, ah, oh, that's not going to really work too well in my project, but then you should still entertain it to a certain point. Mm -hmm. The starting over, basically saying, have an open mind every time you go to ask for feedback because the things that somebody tell you might seem like it might not work at first, but if you actually try it out and test it, it could work. Mm. But again, that's not going to be with everything. You have to start to learn how to filter out the feedback from students, but even professors sometimes because they may be hearing you say you're designed a certain way, but then they interpret it a whole different way one week versus a different week. So sometimes there will be other frustrations where they tell you to do something, you do that, and then they hate it. But they're like, what the heck? You told me to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. <laughs> so it's like, basically the question is, how do you learn how to filter feedback, especially when it comes to your own design and hearing it for different sources? You have to put in that effort. Like you said, like if someone gives you feedback, but then you're like, eh, I don't know about that one. It doesn't work with my project. It's just as easy. Take that effort to be objective and actually apply it maybe. Sometimes intuition can steer you to be like, yeah, no, let's not do that. It's it's lazy not to just, if someone actually took the time to give you some ideas, maybe see if they work. You yeah. Know? I don't know about you think, Albert. I don't know. It's just, ah, that's hard because... Mm. I've definitely had that experience though where someone comes over and says, hey, um, you should do this. And I'll be like... But that really, yeah. I don't know about <laughs> like, that one. It, because I can kind of go into my why yeah. and be like, that doesn't really fit my why. There's there's things. There's you being like, I don't know, it ruins my, it like ruins my floor plans. Like, mm -hmm. or there's like, eh, but that stylistically doesn't match what I was thinking about. Yeah. And those, there's a difference there. I feel there's, like, right? Yeah, there's a difference between organization and like 
detailing, all those type of stuff. But when it comes to the big idea, it clashes fact, with the big idea. Like the big idea. Oh man, it's just hard because like it needs to go back to the why. The, the thing that we were talking about is like, why are you doing this? And if people give you suggestions, and if it doesn't fit within the why, then you should throw that away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but not necessarily throw it away. You keep, you you filter out the good things that they're saying. You're trying to view it from an objective point of view. Yeah. They're telling you, hey, you need the courtyard. But then you start to think, why do I need the courtyard? And so you start to think, what is the purpose of a courtyard? And yeah. instead of saying, I need a courtyard, maybe what they're saying is, an open maybe, space for people to gather. Yeah, maybe maybe they need an open space. Maybe they need daylighting, daylight. Um, Too many hallways. You need some. Yeah, maybe they just, <laughs> maybe they just. So like you start to abstractify or abstract the idea of courtyard and then turn it to something more that you need that you can start to apply to your why if yeah that makes sense it also could be it's so easy to say what i just said or what you just if it's something that hits your if it's conflicting with your core idea maybe throw it away but maybe then it becomes a, is your core idea <laughs> that good of an idea right right because i wonder if that was what you're going to think about right like that thing can easily be the wrong thing as well and mm-hmm. you might have to rethink your project's idea Maybe well, not the was, idea is bad, but like maybe the way you're approaching that yeah, is bad. Yeah, that too. Like it's, there's so many ways to go. I don't, there's no clear step by step about like, oh, if, how to approach these things. Yeah. They're all different. Yeah. And again, we'll have a lot more in-depth stuff on this when we talk about our design process episode, which is, it's so hard to like just clean cut it from one or the other. But like Soy was hinting at it too, but this idea that maybe the feedback that you're getting just is reinforcing that your core concept or something is slightly flawed in one way or the other where... It sounds good on paper, but until you keep hearing this same feedback, that's really challenging your core idea. But to you, it sounds like a good idea intuitively. You're like, okay, well, these two things are matching up. So then it's like what Albert was saying. It's like, don't completely throw it away, but just abstractify it and try to think of something different. It may be the feedback or it might be your concept. Again, it really just comes down to your why. Because you might say, or the question might be why, you give this answer for the first week. And then after a week long of feedback and other stuff, your new answer to that why question is going to be slightly different. And then it's going to be slightly different the next week. And then it keeps building upon itself to the point where it's the same general essence of what your project was, but now it's just slightly modified and a little bit different from all this different feedback mm-hmm. that's helped push it forward. Yeah. But then to add on to that, uh, this year for a studio for me, I have a studio that has a, where we have three different professor-like mentors that are on rotation every single week. So on Monday, Tuesday, or Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we have a different face every single week. Mm-hmm. So then that's so it's annoying. really <laughs> difficult to balance three different opinions on your same project when it, it's helps because most of them have their own specialties. So they don't don't constantly critique the same thing. It's one of those things where, well, Professor A told me to do this, but Professor B is saying to do this, but not that way. Mm-hmm. And the Professor C is saying, don't even do that at all. You don't need to. It's a waste of money or whatever. Ultimately, you're going to understand your project the best out of everybody. And you have to just learn how to internalize what you think makes sense. And you could, Abra was saying, asking yourself questions about your project or just really getting down to the nitty gritty of figuring out, does it support what I want, what this project is needing to do or mm-hmm. does it not? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Mm-hmm. And just asking questions on your professors or other people further if you still don't understand. Oh, that sounds like it'd be a good idea, but can you explain that a little bit better oh can you show me an example of that real quick or can you draw that out for me because i think it would be good but i need to see it first Mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely i agree with that yeah other than that i think that's 
pretty much it. Studio culture, really good. But everyone needs to do that homework assignment in your in your studio. Talk to each other. Yeah. That's that's what makes it the most fun. If we want to have a discussion about what is studio culture, but if you don't talk, you won't. You just won't have a good time because like those people are essentially your family. Yeah. You will see them day in day out, night in night out. Every day you will see these people. So my our my homework assignment to everyone listening to this is talk. If you're in design school or going to be in, talk to a person each day. And tell them about the podcast. And tell them about the podcast as well. Yep, exactly. The shameless plug. Shameless plug. We're shameless. Uh, but no, some things, oh, from a peer educator perspective, at least at our college, we had that program set in place where upper years had to mentor over first years and basically like help guide them to interact with each other a bit more. Basically facilitators to make them want to talk amongst each other. But mm, we were one thing... Maker. What's up? You're a matchmaker. You're cute. Basically. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. No, a matchmaker within the studio to find other people that have the same ideas as uh, or like the same kind of personalities. Yeah, stuff. that doesn't really fit my core concept, Albert, okay? <laughs> That's not what a pure educator is. <laughs> I'm not going to include that in my design process. Thank you very much. <laughs> Something that we get into is trying to come up with activities for people to do outside a studio as well. And this gets into a lot more trying to find some way for you to get out of studio with maybe not the entire studio. If you only are cool with the people who are like right next to you or something, then start small or start big and get smaller too as you find your people who you really click with a little bit more and stuff. But in my experience, there's never been a studio that I've had where everyone ends up feeling like strangers past the first month or so. Mm. Like after you start to go through that first struggle of a production week, everyone's like, ah, what do I do? Help. And then everyone's like, yeah, I don't understand things. This is dumb. And then everyone starts to chat around and figure out that everyone's a bit quirky in different ways. You find something that's funny about a person. You start to talk to them a bit more. And <laughs> Ryan and all-nighters, he starts to talk to himself. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like Ryan, you talking to me? <laughs> He's just, no, he, he just thinks about his project so much that it starts to come out of his mouth when it shouldn't come out. No, no my joke has always been... At the time, I'm talking to myself, and then other people respond back to my questions that I ask myself. And then they're like, oh, yeah, Albert, that's what I was talking about. Uh. <laughs> He's essentially asking himself why. And then I'm just like, I don't know, it's your project. They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, do things together. Find some people you like. Ask them to get lunch with you or something. Or coffee. I don't know if people... That's a date. Yeah. Maybe maybe step back a little bit. Not from there. There's a port there was a point in this podcast where I felt like I was giving dating advice. <laughs> but it's not that deep. <laughs> you just, just talk to people. Don't be shy. Yeah. Um, I think for me, really to handle like the criticism, step back and just ask yourself why. You know? They're telling you something is wrong. And instead of saying I'm getting hurt. Ask, take, take the next step of asking why. Why are they saying that this is a bad idea? Is it because it's cutting the circulation off? It's cutting pedestrian traffic? Is it you just take the next step and ask yourself why? And if it fits the, the big idea, the big narrative that you have, then rethink it in a different way and see if that works, you know, so that it doesn't become so subjective and really attacking your ego or your yourself, mm -hmm. but instead attacking, not attacking, but like maybe it is attacking, attacking your idea and you view your idea in a different light, if that makes sense. Perfect. Yeah, that's the same. My last little thing too, 
just learn to be patient with yourself and other people and hear them out first before you immediately interject in your brain and stop listening to what their feedback is going to be. And just learn, again, as Alvaro was saying, how to detach yourself a bit more from your projects so it doesn't feel like it's an attack on you, but more of just a criticism on the project and an opportunity to make it better is mm-hmm. how I like to personally look at it. It took me a while to get to that point where I realized what people are saying they don't like a certain thing. It's not because they're trying to hate on the project, it's tr- because they're trying to make it better. And professors, that's what they're trying to do as well. They're trying to help you make your project better and get you to think about your project better. So mm-hmm. if you're a bit more patient with yourself and others and allow them to speak and have a space for them to give your project some some points of criticism, it will make your project a lot better and you'll learn a lot more that way too. Yeah. Well, I feel like we gave them a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot of homework, guys. Yeah. Yeah. But y'all got this. You'll figure it out. But like also hmm? we believe in you. We believe in you. But yeah, also if you already figured this out, well, nice. <laughs> you're <laughs> to just tell other people. You're perfect. Tell other like people me. how to. Spread yeah. the news. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Crit Room Podcast. I appreciate it a lot. I've been your host, Ryan, with my co-host, Albert, just Albert. And <laughs> and then Sully was just on the mic and there's no Abby. We miss her. We miss yeah. Abby a lot, but she's living her life. Yeah. Living the best life. We'll see you guys next week. Adios. Ciao. Arrivederci. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>